Welcome to The Way Home Podcast, a conversation about church, community, and culture. I'm your host, Dan Darling, here in Nashville, Tennessee. Today, I'm glad to be joined by pastor and best-selling author Max Licato. Of course, Max doesn't really need an introduction. He's written 32 books, many of which have been on the bestseller list. He's been a pastor for several decades at Oak Hills Church in San Antonio. And I'm going to talk to Max about his latest book, Glory Days, also about his writing process, what does that look like for someone like Max Licato, and about leadership. Uh, He initiated a very interesting and I think successful transition to the next leader who will follow him at Oak Hills Church there, a real model for, for pastors and church leaders. We will talk about that. My kids know Max Licato best as the creator of the Hermie series of Christian cartoons, and so they're very happy that I'm talking to Max today. Before we begin our conversation, however, I want to tell you about my new book releasing this September entitled The Original Jesus. I'm very excited about this project coming from Baker Books. I think it's going to help a lot of Christians think through their view of Jesus. Uh, This book stemmed from what I saw in my own heart and in the heart of other Christians that I know and just evangelicals in the culture. And our views of Jesus, I think sometimes we are tempted to create a Jesus in our own image rather than being conformed to His image. And so Jesus is very popular today, but is this the real Jesus of Scripture? So it's a challenging book, but a fun book, uh, humorous at times. It's a project I had a lot of fun working on, and I hope uh, that you would enjoy it. If, you, if you'd like to get more information about it, you can go to my website, danieldarling.com. You can download a free preview chapter to see, hey, do I like this book or not? If you do want to order it, you can pre-order it from Amazon, even though it releases in September. So if you'd like to do that, I'd love to encourage you to do that as well. But for now, let's join Max Licato for our conversation on the Way Home Podcast. Max Licato, thank you for joining me today on the Way Home Podcast. Really appreciate it. Oh, it's my honor. I appreciate you including me. So you have your 32nd book due to release here pretty soon, Glory Days. What gave you the inspiration for this book? There were two things that happened not simultaneously, but one really influenced the other. First thing is I've always loved the book of Joshua, the Old Testament book, because it's always amazed me that the people of Joshua had such unprecedented victories, Mm -hmm. just one after the other, especially since you consider the nation of Israel in the Old Testament times had so many problems. Mm -hmm. But during that uh, seven-year period that the book of Joshua documents, it's, it's just they were unstoppable. So I've always thought that's a wonderful idea. In the back of my mind, thought, now that, that'd be a good sermon series or good teaching series. Mm. But then, um, just a few years ago, there was a, a very thorough study conducted by Reveal, R-E-V-E-A-L, mm-hmm. and uh, they interviewed uh, members in over a thousand churches trying to determine how many of them felt like they were really enjoying spiritual victory in their lives. And uh, only 11% said they were. Mm. So nearly 9 out of 10 Christians would say that the Christian life is not what they had hoped it would be. Mm. And I was really discouraged by that. And, and, and I thought, I wonder, I wonder how you address that. And so I've, I've taken the book of Joshua and, and, and from the angle of what, what made the difference? What brought the children of Israel out of the wilderness into these seven years of victory? I call them their glory days. 
And what could they teach us if, if nine out of ten Christians feel like they're more in the wilderness than they are in the promised land? What could the book of Joshua teach us as, as we try to enter into a season of victory? So I, I think it really worked. You know, all of my books are sermons before their books, and, it, and I think it stirred a lot of it in, in growth in our church. And so I'm, I'm really optimistic that it might do the same. Uh, as, as the book gets released. Yeah, Max, I think it's such an interesting subject because I think on the one hand, I mean, I wonder why if you, you know, when you pull people, Christians, and say that they're, I guess, dissatisfied or just feel like they haven't had victory. I mean, on the one hand, is this, do you think, a little the fault of uh, maybe the church sometimes over-promises uh, real present, tangible victory right away when you become, a, you know, you become a Christian and everything's going to change and everything's going to be great and glorious, and then it isn't, and people are disappointed. Do you think that's part of it? I think, I think that's part of it. And, and curiously, the, the thing that strikes the reader when they study the book of Joshua is that Joshua and, his, um, and the Israelites really became people of promise. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you, you begin in Joshua chapter 1, and really, the first thing a person notices is God did not tell Joshua to go and conquer the land. He said, go and take the land that I am giving to you. Mm. And, it's, and it's a really important paradigm shift. And, and in the book, I say he did not fight for victory. He fought from victory. He had absolute assurance he was going to win. And so if you talk about something that gives you confidence and faith. And then uh, I think there's a direct parallel for, for us as Christians. We fight from victory as well. We are not just heirs of Christ. We're co-heirs with Christ, mm. which means that we have access to every spiritual blessing that Christ has access to. Um, so I, I wonder if, if it's not that we overpromise. I think it's more that we don't trust the promises that we have mm. and learn to live out of our inheritance and, and not so much out of our circumstances. Yeah, and I wonder if people confuse, you know, physical blessings with, the, yeah. like you're talking about the spiritual blessings, because... Absolutely. Y- yeah. y- you know, a message uh, that might work in the West, say, to say, you know, you become a Christian, you're going to be automatically become prosperous, all your problems are going to go away. It really works, I guess, in the, in the nice suburbs of America. Uh, but, you know, if... That same message over, not, say, in not, Syria yeah. or Iraq or some places where Christians are really struggling doesn't work, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I think we've got to be really careful when we talk about God's promises uh, and, and talk about what prosperity means. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, there's, there's all types of, of prosperity. And, and the, the, I remember when we lived in, in Brazil uh, back in the 1980s for five years, and mm. my ministry was in a favela. And... Um, and those were the poorest people. To this day, they're the poorest people I've ever worked with. Mm. And yet those Christians, I think about them, and spiritually, they were the most affluent people I've ever met. Mm-hmm. I mean, they, they to this day, I think about them, and it brings a smile to my face, this little band of about 30 people I worked with. And they were just as happy as they could be, and they taught me so much about joy. Mm. And so I, I believe they would say, yeah, we're living out of God's promises. We're, we've received, we're prosperous. Uh, in terms of grace and joy and peace and love for one another. And, uh, and so I, uh, I think there's a concern that we can define prosperity too narrowly uh, and just, just the physical blessings, and certainly that's not what the Bible does. Yeah, and I wonder too, um, you know, I often think about sanctification, and sometimes I think, 
you know, you have someone in church who, I became a Christian at a young age, but, you know, always growing up in church, you have maybe testimony time where someone stands up and gives this radical, great testimony. That's just <laughs> just really awesome. And you're all excited. Yeah, they were alcoholics or they had some kind of addiction and they became a Christian and like overnight, everything went away. And it's really great. And everybody claps and is happy. It's a great story and God does do these things. But then you think of the person who has been struggling with an addiction or, you know, with with some kind of sin struggle for their whole Christian life, and they feel discouraged that, hey, what, what's wrong with me? What what am I doing wrong? Uh, and I wonder just sometimes if we promise immediate victory, even over sin and things in this life, that maybe won't come until Christ returns, right? We very well may do so. One of the things that I, I tried to address in the in the book uh, is is why the children of Israel spent 40 days in the wilderness. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, because God made the same promise to Moses that he, that he made to Joshua. Uh, and, and so I think that, I think that there's, a, there's a metaphor there that, that many Christians today uh, walk in circles in, in the wilderness and mm-hmm. they're wondering, you know, what, what, what could I do? What could I believe? You know, how could I cross over mm-hmm. into the promised land? And I, I, sh- I think I'd be the last one to say it's, e- it's easy. Uh, and it, and it comes without struggle. Just the opposite. I mean, you, 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 the, the truth of the matter is Joshua and his soldiers had, you know, 30 different kings to deal with. And mm-hmm. we have many more ourselves. Mm-hmm. We have our own Jerichos. We mm-hmm. have our own Jordan rivers. And, and so it's not that it's, it's without struggle, but there is, I think, uh, I, I do think, uh, we, that the church could, I just think we could have a little deeper faith. Mm-hmm. I, I, I think that, my my hunch is that many people assume that because they have a struggle today, it's going to be with them the rest of their lives. Mm. And uh, and I'd like to speak against that, you know, in the name of Christ, and 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 say, you know what? Yeah, it's it's hard today. These thought patterns we have, these strongholds. But let's press in. Let's move forward in faith. And I I want to give people hope mm. that uh, that they really could enjoy a season of victory. It, it seems like every day, just yesterday. I had a conversation with a, a member of our church who just says, well, I'm just kind of stuck. I don't know. I just don't feel like I'm growing. And I'm feel, you know, and he just kind of has this a blah, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> blah to him. Yeah. And he doesn't know what to do. You know, he says, do I, do I need, need to change churches? Do I need to change Bible translations? Yeah. <laughs> I need to change preachers. I said, well, you probably do need to change preachers. Uh, is it, so I think it's a real situation. And, and I don't know if... I, there's certainly not a one, two, three uh, solution, step one, two, three. But I think there's some ideas of faith that we can incorporate that, that would help us uh, move out of the doldrums. It does seem uh, in Scripture that God takes His people and always puts them through a time of wilderness. I mean, it's yeah. right if you look at all the major yeah. characters of Scripture. That's uh, a great point. Wh- why is that? Yeah. Well, these, these wilderness times, uh, number one— happen uh, uh, often because we choose not to trust. Again, there's Moses and the children mm-hmm. of Israel. Uh, they just said that we cannot go over into the promised land uh, because the challenges, the giants are too many. And so God allowed them then this 40 years of wandering. Um, and it, to me, as I read it, to be honest, it seems like such a harsh punishment, mm. such a harsh punishment. What a terrible consequence. But... Uh, in God's sovereignty and in his plan, uh, he wanted to uh, make a point with the children of Israel 
that we would still learn from today, and that is uh, refuse God's promises at great cost. It's not that they weren't saved from Egypt, but it is that they weren't blessed in the promised land. And I, and I think that, that Reveal Research said there's a lot of people mm. who uh, have been saved from sin and death, but they're not enjoying the fruits mm. of, of, of promised land living. And uh, so I believe that, that as a result, there's this, it's, we end up walking in circles spiritually. I just can't help but think what would happen if instead of uh, 11% of the people saying, I lead a victorious life, what if 90% of us mm. said that? Yeah. Um, you know that, uh, and I think those days are coming. I mean, I really sense that there's that the Holy Spirit is moving in a strong and mighty way. Uh, just last Saturday night, I was in Madison Square Garden uh, at a worship event, and it was packed, mm. packed to the gills for three and a half hours. People were worshiping and praying and uh, seeking God, and I never thought I'd see something like that at Madison Square Garden of all places, mm. New York City. So I'm begin- I think we're beginning to sense a movement uh, among God's people that I'm just so excited to be alive to see. You know, that, that's such a great perspective because, you know, many have been lamenting some shifts in the culture. It seems that, yeah. you know, the culture may, may be increasingly hostile to Christianity, and yet we are seeing a work of God among His people here. And uh, is that what gives you a hope it's for exactly, this generation? It, I've never really aligned up with a lot of uh, my brothers and sisters who say we have to have the government behind us, mm-hmm. the government supporting us, or the government endorsing our values. That's always seemed a little, I don't know, uh, off balance to me. And 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 now more and more decisions are coming down uh, that go contrary to Christian conviction. And there's a sense in which uh, the people in my own church, they just look a panic on their faces. Mm-hmm. And and I, my my response has, has always been, you know, the Bible was written by people and for people who were uh, a minority, mm. who were uh, certainly didn't have Caesar's blessing, right. <laughs> certainly didn't have Nero's affirmation. Right. And, uh, and the church has always exploded and grown the best in spite of the government, mm. not because of it. Mm. Government does not do kingdom work very well. Mm. well uh, and, and, and so uh, you look at the growth of the church in China mm-hmm. right now. Uh, boy, it's, they, they certainly don't have the government, you know, endorsing their convictions about offering Christian prayers in schools. And, and mm-hmm. it didn't slow them down one bit. Yeah. And so I'm thinking that maybe this... Uh, Distancing from the government is going to be good for us. Well, and and won't it, in some sense, sharpen the distinctions oh, between a Christian and the world? Absolutely, well said. It'll it'll be a chance to, to for people to look at you know here's here's the Christian lifestyle and here's mm-hmm. the secular lifestyle, and if we live out our faith truly, then our our lifestyles will be in and of themselves uh, the testimonies mm-hmm. that will, that will. Uh, Spark revival. That's a great word. I, I want to talk a little bit about writing. Uh, you've written thirty-two books, probably thousands of articles, and just have been a really great voice uh, in the evangelical world for a long time. I, I think probably a lot of people who read your books would be curious to see, you know, how do you get inspired to start a project? What does your writing process look like? Do you mind talking about that? Oh, I don't mind. I love writing. I do. I- I don't love all of writing because it truly is hard work. But I, I think I, my thinking on writing is that every human being has a book 
inside them. Mm-hmm. I really think that's true. And uh, when people come up to me and say, you know, I think I've got an idea I'd like to write in a book, I always say, yes, go for it. Go for it. If not for anyone else except at least for you, for the privilege of capturing your thoughts on paper uh, and for your children. I don't think very many people are called to be writers mm-hmm. uh, and write lots of books, but I think just about everybody has a book in them. And so it's really a good conversation to have. Say, okay, how, how do I capture how do I capture those thoughts? I'm curious, are you, to me, there's always been two kinds of writers. There's people like myself who, you know, we, we write on deadlines. So give me a deadline, I'll finish it. And we kind of live by that. I've always done that. Then there's others who I'm jealous of who are more disciplined, who are kind of get up every morning at 4.30 and crank out 5,000 words. Um, where do you fall in, in that? What is your style when you're working on a project? Yeah, I'm not a good deadline writer. Mm. I appreciate that. <laughs> I don't do well. I, I need to be way out in in front. Mm-hmm. Uh, I need to have freedom. Of uh, and so uh, and so, I I usually finish a book about uh, an average of twelve months before it's due. Mm. And and that's just for my sake because I know when I finish a manuscript, uh, I'll want to go back and rework it and rework it and rework mm-hmm. it. Uh, because I think uh, you know that, that at least for me, the best writing happens during rewriting. As I'm rewriting a stuff, even even today, I, I've been working on a, a manuscript that I haven't even shown to a publisher yet. I've, I've finished the whole manuscript, and uh, and yet I don't want to show it to anybody because I want to rewrite it. And so I was working on it this morning, and I said, "Oh, I'm so glad I've not shown anybody <laughs> that because that that part of the paragraph really stinks." I thought it sounded good, but th- today it sounded terrible. And and that that's just the uh, you know that's why they call it a rough edit because mm-hmm. it's rough. <laughs> yeah, I think I think you know most writers would be encouraged to know that Max Licato, after writing 32 books, still finds a paragraph that. He doesn't feel sounds good. And and just to hear about the rewriting process, I, I talked to a lot of young writers, as I'm sure you do, that I think this vision of writing that you're, you know, you're in a cabin by a mountain stream and the words just kind of flow and they're, it's, but it's a lot of hard work, isn't it? It is. And I appreciate you bringing up that topic because uh, if there's anything that uh, I think people don't discuss, it's the importance of rewriting. Um, every ma- Every book I've ever written, has been rewritten at least 40 times, mm, wow. and some of them 60 or 70 times. And uh, uh, and I always have a manuscript with me. You know how some people always have a book with them that they're reading? Mm. I always have a manuscript with me that I'm writing. Uh, this afternoon, I'm flying to Little Rock, and I have a manuscript in my briefcase, mm. and I'll just pull it out, and I'll have a red pen, and I'm, I'm changing and changing. Then I'll go back and enter the corrections. Mm. And so I think that that's something that we... It really helps me. It really helps me. And, and uh, I, there may be moments of uh, inspiration, but there's a lot of perspiration. There's, it's just kind of rolling up your sleeves and sitting there and, and doing the work. Max, what are some writers, authors that have inspired you over the years that have, you know, as they say, good writers are, are, are readers? Are good readers. What are some yeah. of your favorite authors yeah. that have really inspired yeah. you? You know, through the years, um, very, very early, way back in the very beginning, uh, back in the mid-80s, there was a writer that really influenced me by the name of Frederick Buechner, Mm -hmm. B-U-E-C-H-N-E-R. And um, I haven't read 
uh, much of his stuff in the last few years, not because I don't want to, just because I haven't come across it. But uh, early on, it he he had a really neat blend of humor, creativity, and theology mm. that I had never seen. And it was like somebody gave me permission mm-hmm. to do to write. I said, "Oh, I didn't know you could write like that." Mm. And then I started reading uh, a lot of books by Charles Swindoll, mm-hmm. and uh, all of we pastors have depended upon uh, Charles for a lot of stuff. But uh, but Chuck is a good. He's such a good expositor with just enough creativity. To, he, he's a good balance between a, uh, a commentary and a Frederick Beekner. He, mm. He's a little, little more Bible-based. Mm. And then John Stott uh, mm. had a huge influence on me, yeah. mainly in the 90s. And, and somebody told me, read everything that Dr. Stott writes. And I don't think I've read everything, but I've read a lot of things. Mm. And he, he helped me so, uh, so much in... in uh, trying to make my books more reliable, biblically reliable. Mm. And uh, he, he, that was what I took away from him. When you talk to uh, pastors, do you encourage them to write? I do. I do. I think good writing makes better preaching. Mm. If, by the time, if you can condense something into a manuscript, then you've done your listening audience a favor because you've tightened up that manuscript. Mm. Uh, uh, I know that many preachers don't like to write because they feel like it's confining and uh, takes the freedom away. Mm. Uh, they like to be able to use voice inflection and and uh, ar- ar- you know arm gestures, and that is wonderful in <laughs> preaching because you don't have that in writing. Right. But I think if you can force yourself to write a chapter that you could literally just get up and read as a sermon and it would connect, and you've done a good job communicating. Uh, the last thing I want to talk to you about before we're, we're finished is just leadership. And one of the things that I've been intrigued about your style of leadership is um, just how you've thought of tra- your transition and p- kind of prepared your successor and have shared leadership, which is kind of a rare thing, I think, in church life. So explain why was that important to you? The big deal for me is there were other churches in, I live in San Antonio, mm-hmm. and I watched uh, three other churches when the senior pastor either uh, retired or moved on, that the churches went through a time of difficult transition. Mm-hmm. And I just really didn't want to see that for our church. And so when I was um, about 55 years old, I had been senior minister for well over two decades. And I came up with this idea if I could bring on a new senior minister, and I could stay on as teaching minister, then the transition might be smoother. Mm. And people all said, that's crazy. And nobody's going to want to do that, number one. And number two, the church won't be able to handle it. And I just felt like it would be wise. Mm. And uh, and so uh, I found a guy who was crazy enough to do it, Randy Frazee. And that was seven years ago. And uh, it's just been, a, it, it's not been without challenge, but it has, it has truly exceeded our expectations. And I have right now the very, wonderful peace of mind that if the plane goes down this afternoon that I'm flying on, the church is in good hands. Mm-hmm. And, and and so I think it's, um, I think going ahead and preparing for that transition has been great for the church. What has kept you fresh as, as a leader? I mean, you've been a pastor and a uh, writer and speaker for many years. Well, I, what I, what I keeps you fresh? Through, yeah, I go through dry times. I do. I get, I get kind of discouraged. Of late, though, I, I've really taken on what I've called the Arimathea Challenge, mm. the Joseph of Arimathea, just something I created on my own. 
And that is, uh, Joseph of Arimathea ministered to the body of Christ when it was wounded, and he had nothing to nothing to gain from it. Uh, and I, when I read his story a few weeks back, I thought, now I want to be more like Joseph of Arimathea. I want to minister to the body of Christ, uh, and I don't want to have anything. Uh, I, I don't want to expect anything in return. Mm. So, so the Lord will give me these ideas like that, and I'll just ride that for weeks and weeks mm. and weeks. And so, to me, it's it's just something fresh out of Scripture that speaks to my heart, and so that that that's my new one. I've mm. even thought about getting Arimathea tattooed on my arm. <laughs> <laughs> that would be great. Well, thank you, Max, for joining us. I, I this has been a great conversation. You know, you you're a great encouragement to to the next generation. You've been a inspiration for a lot of people. Read your books and just thank you. Do you have one maybe final word of encouragement oh, for pastors or I, church I, leaders? I just encourage everybody to. To try to catch a vision for glory days, uh, catch a vision not not for the book, but for their own glory days. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's let's press into into God's promises and and let's expect some great things to happen. I think we're in the most exciting time, and we could, uh, you know, I I try to not go down this line of thought too far because who am I to say when Jesus is coming back? But I can't imagine much more that needs to happen before he, he before he comes. So these are exciting times. Well, thank you, Max. Really appreciate it. Well, I want to thank Max Licato for joining us today for that great conversation on writing, on leadership, and his new book, Glory Days. If you enjoyed this, would you send us an email, wayhome at erlc.com. We'd love to hear your feedback, questions, comments. We'd also love if you could write a review for us on iTunes. That kind of helps spread the word and lets others know about the podcast. You can also subscribe in iTunes or Stitcher or TuneIn or however you listen to podcasts. We'd love to have you listen to some of those past conversations. Also, I just want to remind you again about my book, The Original Jesus, that's releasing September 1st. You can go to my website, danieldarling.com, and get a free sample chapter of that, and you can also pre-order it on Amazon. We'll have links there as well. But for now, thank you for joining us on The Way Home Podcast. Mm-hmm.